0: Welcome to the
1: teacher talking time podcasts for learners, the cult of learning. If you are new to this podcast, this is your first time listening to our voices. The aim of our series is very simple is to simply encourage people to find and pursue what they're passionate about when learning a foreign language. The Cult of Learning series are episodes for learners of languages. And in these episodes, we discuss tools and strategies for learning and provide opportunities for effective listening practice. In today's episode, we will talk about how you can boost your mental game. Yes, stick around for that so that it actually has an impact on your language Performance. We will talk about a technique that is commonly used by many top performers, including Cristiano Ronaldo, Michael Phelps, and athletes that use this when they're preparing themselves for a competition, a race, or a match. Mental imagery or visualization is going to be the topic of our podcast today. But before we get down to brass tacks, a very few important reminders here for all of you. If you are listening to our podcast, please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast in your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you want to learn more about the work that we do, and the courses that we offer, don't forget to visit our website www.learnyourenglish.net and subscribe to our mailing list for promotions. If you are a language learner listening to this episode and you're tired of learning in a classroom, then you should join our School of Learning. You pay only once $5 and you will get unlimited access to our School of Learning. And if you like the School of Learning, of course, then you should also consider our quick fixes, which are more specific and include things like how to extend a conversation, mastering the IELTS speaking exam, and boosting your IELTS score with patterns. Quick fixes are only $10, and we guarantee that you will definitely notice improvements in your language.
0: This episode of Teacher Talking Time was created with support from Podbean. As you know, podcasts are a great way to get your message out or engage within a professional or creative community. We use Podbean to host our show, and it's super effective at doing everything you'd want. If you're a beginner or seasoned podcaster, Podbean's user-friendly interface can help you start, manage, distribute, and grow your show. If you're looking to start a podcast for either professional or personal reasons, Podbean is a powerful and inexpensive option. Learn Your English has a special link for our listeners who want to try out Podbean at no risk. Learn more about their features and get your first month free when you go to podbean.com slash L-Y-E. Thanks for listening to us and for subscribing to Teacher Talking Time. Now let's get back to the show. Hey everyone, my name is Maurice and I'm from Ivory Coast. You're listening to the Teacher Talking Time to Learn Your English podcast. Coucou tout le monde, je m'appelle Maurice et je viens de Côte d'Ivoire. Vous écoutez The Teacher Talking Time to Learn Your English podcast. Amusez-vous bien!
1: And I'm back here on the studio with my good friend, my body, my brother from another mother. Hey, there he is. Hey, everyone. It's great to be
2: back. Listen, Leo, I am super psyched to talk about this topic for a couple of reasons. One, the two athletes you mentioned earlier, I absolutely love. And two, I actually get a little nervous, you know, when I present, even when I teach. So I find that this idea of visualizing really helps me as an individual. So I really hope that uh, the learners listening also kind of draw on this and relate it to their own experiences.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, Mike, I'm glad you like this topic because for those of you who are listening, today we will talk about this perform enhancing technique that a lot of athletes and top competitors use before they enter competitions. The interesting thing about all of this, Mike, and listeners, is that it happens in the mind. So you're going to have to work on improving your mental game. And this is more of a of a training experience, a preparation experience, or even a warm-up experience. And interestingly, Mike, whether we realize this or not, visualization during sports or this idea of mental rehearsal is something that we do naturally why is that well we think in pictures when we're preparing for a job interview what do we do go through all those questions right right and when we're preparing for a presentation what do
2: we do exactly like i said earlier we're we're thinking about all these possible scenarios someone asking me a question me uh, thinking about what's coming up on my next slide thinking of the example that connects all of these things are Kind of popping into our head as we rehearse, as you Mm -hmm. said.
1: So, Mike, before we jump in, talk a little bit about visualization in sports. I have a quote here, and perhaps we could dissect this quote for for the learners who are listening to this podcast. It's a quote by Angie Levon of the clinic Clinical Research Unit at the University of Pennsylvania, um, Mm Abramson Cancer Center, and she says this, and I quote: Mental imagery impacts many cognitive processes in the brain. Motor control, attention, perception, planning, and memory. So the brain is getting trained for the actual performance during visualization. It's been found that mental practices can enhance motivation, increase confidence and self-efficacy, improve motor performance, prime your brain for success and increase states of flow all of these relevant to achieving your best life
2: what do you i think that's you know mm. i think that's really interesting especially mm. let's let's break this down further so mm-hmm. enhancing motivation i can see that because you're visualizing yourself being in the space, mm-hmm. so it it it's almost like you you feel accountable for for performing, even though you're only again visualizing it. Um, as a result, your confidence grows, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So I agree with that. Um, self-efficacy, you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, like you're you're actually saying, okay, so since I am accountable. Um, I'm responsible for what, what is being said and I'm kind of putting myself in the role of the performer. So I'm taking, putting greater value on my own work and I'm seeing that value play out in my imagination.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Motor performance is an interesting one. I've actually seen um, uh, fighter pilots or demonstration pilots do this. Before they perform, they'll actually go through and move their hands as if they're controlling the flight controls and manipulating everything, even though they're sitting stationary in a chair. And I think you're right. The big one for me is it primes the brain for success. And as she points out, it actually increases states of flow. And I think what she means by that is that you you become absorbed in the moment that all the other distractions disappear. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why it's so powerful for athletes, because it's like they get in the zone, Mm. so to speak, right? And they're thinking about all those
1: other things that she talked about. It's really powerful. Mm. I think one word that I want us to talk a little bit about before we jump into visualization in sports, Mike, is this word prime. Because we think about prime as in like, um as an adjective being something that is the most important or or the best quality but when we think about prime as a verb and i think this is where visualization really comes into play here is that when you prime yourself when you prime somebody you are preparing someone for a situation so that they know what to do right so exactly so th- let's think about how athletes prime themselves before a competition, how you as a language learner can prime yourself before you start learning a language. Um, so I think that's a key word for all of us to, to really keep in mind throughout this episode, this idea of priming. You're preparing your brain. As you said, Mike, you're preparing your brain with motor control, your senses, your attention, your, your perception, right? And I f- as you said, I think this idea of when you prime someone, when you're prepared for a situation, you can kind of manage um your expectations as much as possible because you are doing it before it actually happens, right? Exactly.
2: And as a result, it's more automatic, right? Mm-hmm. It it's just there's there's less of an emotional attachment. And I think the perception, Leo, is a great point. I think as individuals, we tend to perceive things as Threatening or negative, and maybe I'm speaking from my own experiences, but I know a lot of people that get nervous about presentations. They perceive mm. them as difficult, and I think this type of visual uh, training, visualization, as you point out, in sports and in language learning, is really powerful because it puts you in that moment, and when you encounter that moment in reality, as you said, you're primed. You're mm-hmm. maybe even conditioned to, to assume a different role, to embody oh. um, a different persona, right? Like you begin to play the character that you are visualizing.
1: Yes, that's deep. That's actually really what I was going to ask you, Mike, because you talked about um, presentations or, or other situations. Where real-life situations that you actually have to put yourself in a situation that you might feel a little uncomfortable. Before we talk about where this visualization comes from, let me ask you a question. When you are delivering a presentation, be it online or or face-to-face, do you go through this mental rehearsal? Do you prime yourself prior to this presentation? Is that something that you do? I do. I I think
2: for For each individual, it'll be different Leo like I think you don't want to you don't want to go into the presentation like a robot right? right and you sometimes hear people talk about athletes that way too. This person's a robot right they they have their set script and they follow their script um, A presentation, much like any type of oral communication is is a dialogue right mm-hmm. so you have to you, you really have to strike a balance. So what I mean by that, Leo, is you have to visualize what you anticipate's going to happen, but also be comfortable knowing that things will come up and you might just need to react to something that wasn't planned. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where there's a lot of similarities between learning a language, presenting, and athletic performance. Because you can prepare and practice and rehearse, but the game changes. Yeah. The dynamics and the presentation space change.
1: That's true. And
2: visualizing and anticipating scenarios. I know you're gonna talk about this later. Anticipating scenarios is really valuable.
1: Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Um especially and again i'm gonna draw a little bit on on my philosophical background here but it's important to always act with a reverse clause not only considering what what might go wrong but be prepared for that to be exactly what's going to happen because if you're doing a presentation and you tell yourself there is a very good chance that the computer is not going to work there's a very good chance that the slides are going to have a, a little problem, but if you do this mental rehearsal, if you prepare for all these worst-case scenarios, as you said, I think you are you're less likely to deal with all these negative emotions that would normally occur when you are in that uh, real-life situation uh, in real time, right? Um, but anyway,
2: absolutely, yeah. And I know you want to talk about sports, but yes, it's, it's, I think it's also it's also about embracing chaos. Right.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And, and the visualization, as you point out, it's, it's about anticipating those scenarios and not seeing them as threats, Leo. And I think that for a lot of star athletes, they welcome the challenge. And I think as presenters, we need to welcome chaos as public speakers. We need to welcome breakdowns in communication and see them as opportunities to to, to, to develop and to, to learn from. Um, mm. And I know as teachers, teachers struggle with that because they have a lesson plan that they, they, wanna, they wanna impose or use, but some of my best lessons were lessons where the lesson plan fell apart and I had to react to what the students wanted to talk about or what the students um, were interested in. And I think for star athletes, it's the same. Some athletes thrive and some athletes choke mm-hmm. in that high pressure environment and uh, i think visualization plays a large role in that Mm -hmm. Um, if you're visualizing these things as going wrong and being threats then it's not going to hurt your actual performance sorry it's not going to help your actual performance right right but if as you pointed out if you're anticipating them and seeing them as opportunities to to try something else or to to do things a different way it uh definitely changes how you react in the moment yeah when that does happen
1: well i think maybe we should just jump into this because um visualization actually is a very common tradition in sports and as you said it's it's this preparation again i'm going to come back to the word priming you're you're priming your brain you're preparing for a very specific performance and I did a little bit of research because I really wanted our listeners to to understand where this comes from. And ev- actually one of the first persons to utilize to employ um, visualization in sports was this woman named Marilyn King Mike and apparently she had a debilitating accident and she visualized herself back into Olympic standard performance so yes just with the power of visualization so this is exactly what happened she was preparing for the moscow olympics in 1980 and apparently she injured her back and she was bedridden for about four months and then she started working on her her mind her her mindset her her so she did this through self affirmations, she kept saying to herself, I'm going to be ready, I'm going to be prepared for the Olympic Games. So a little bit of positive thinking helped her here. And then she said mm. that she talked a lot about this mindset shift, moving away from this poor me ment victim mentality. And finding as you said, Mike, to go back to what you said, finding an opportunity in adversity, the obstacle mm. becoming the way so here's what she did while she was in bed she watched films of world champion athletes and as she was watching that she kept visualizing and feeling herself this is important because it's not just mental imagery you have to do the motor part you have to your limbs your body your your muscles everything has to be working and she did that going through each event each movement Unfortunately, Mike, there were no brain scans at the time, but I think if you could take a look and we would see parts of her brain, the parts that were responsible for the performance would be um, firing or firing activated. up. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Mm. Because that's what happens when, um, when the brain is connecting the dots, these mental images, these, these feelings, they, they are wired the performance into our brains. It's almost like, and I I came up with an analogy here. It's almost like you're installing a software in in your subconscious mind to run on autopilot without having Mm. to consciously think about it. And here's the best part, Mike. She finished second at the Olympic trial with no physical preparation. That's just amazing. (laughs) Wow. Yeah,
2: I don't know if that's something that everyone could achieve. It, I, I mean, high performance athletes are just a different breed. But mm. um, I think that that the story is quite inspirational. And I've heard similar stories about people recovering from uh, as, as, as this individual back surgeries mm. and, and those that were told they would never be able to walk again or, or would be or, or would not be able to live life as normal as they had mm. prior to their injury. And Definitely, I think all of them, just anecdotally, uh, have said that visualization played a, a very key role in that. Mm-hmm.
1: And your your friend, uh, your friend Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo, is also a very strong proponent of of yes, visualization and, and mental rehearsal. And I watched an interview recently where he identified four key areas if you want to visualize yourself. It's it's mental, so you have to see it in your mind. It's physical, you have to feel it in your body. It's emotional, as you said. You don't want to choke. You don't want to feel anxious. You don't want to deal with, like, think about those tennis players when they make, like, two mistakes or when they, when they miss the ball two or three times in a row. They have to be able to bounce back immediately, right? And oh, for it's Chris- amazing. And for Cristiano, the most important one is the spirit because that man has a lot of energy.
0: Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but he did say that the mental mental game is by far the most important he actually tells himself that prior to a game he actually sees the entire game here up in his head isn't that amazing
2: it's it's amazing i think you're i think you're right the um the resilience I think have we mentioned that word in other podcast episodes, but I think let's talk about the resilience word. of some of these athletes, as you said, to be down a set in a tennis match and to come back and yep. win two or three sets in a row is, is just amazing. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it in a sport like tennis where it's an individual sport mm-hmm. and they're relying on basically themselves to, to psych themselves up and to, overcome these challenges mm-hmm. it's it's amazing it's, it's interesting as well i mean ronaldo is again a member of a team but he always stands out from all the others and i think even even he plays that game with himself to be the best that he can be yeah and perhaps he's as stiff
1: as competition
2: right so mm-hmm.
1: very just, interesting just to go back to the word resilience um for those of you our listeners you res, if you are resilient Or if you show resilience, it's, as Mike said, it's, it's, you have this innate ability, actually not innate, I think you develop, Mm, you can develop it, you develop it, yeah, you develop, you become stronger, you become happier, or you're able to bounce back again, after a difficult situation. So for example, um, right now, we're dealing with a pandemic and you really need to show resilience during these difficult times in order to be able to um, move forward with your life and not have that poor me victim mentality, right? So so that's what the word-
2: Yeah, it's it's very interesting. I mean, it's also, I think, Leo, resilience is, um, I would argue it's also cultural, right? Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) not to get off topic here, (laughs) folks, but- this is I think resilience is a big one because we we tend to take things for granted, and we tend to maybe mm-hmm. say that everyone has resilience, but there are people who have overcome more challenges in their lives and I, I I would argue that that again, going back to embracing challenges and embracing difficulty, that because they've embraced that difficulty and have overcome it, that they are perhaps more prepared for the modern workforce, mm-hmm. more prepared to actually cope with situations like COVID-19, which is the, the situations we find ourselves in at the mm-hmm. time of the recording of this podcast, um, versus the, the, the snowflakes and the people who have never been challenged. And I use that word lightly. I'm not referring to the generation. I'm just referring to people who have maybe been spoon-fed. Maybe that's a, for, mm-hmm. uh, an expression our audience might be um, familiar with. And that, uh, yeah that um i think down the road that we will recognize resilience not only for its value in sports but also for its value in business and Mm -hmm. and employment and education
1: and so on leadership all of that yeah great point Yeah. yeah yeah um just to wrap up visualization in sports we have two more examples here mike one is michael phelps those of oh, great first name, s- by the way. Swimmer, yeah. <laughs> he uh, watched a very interesting video where he, him, and his coach were talking about um, how they use visualization before he gets into the pool. And he was he was saying how he has a very strong mental game. And to go back to uh, what we were saying earlier in in this podcast, Mike, w- one of the things that he does to prepare for, for races, for competitions, is that he considers all the worst case scenarios that could possibly happen during a race. For example, problems mm. with his goggles, his swimsuit. He visualizes all of those things because if they were to happen during the race, he already has a solution in place for that, right? Mm-hmm. And the other person is Pepe Guardiola, who is a great football coach. And I have a quote here by him, and this is going to go back to what we said about confidence, because he he talks about asking his players. So he he basically teaches them to visu- to visualize. He asks them what they're capable of doing, so they can feel confident before they get on the pitch. And this is what he did when he was a player. He he said that he would always see the game up here, tapping his his his. Uh, forehead. With my eyes shut, he could actually see the game clearly. And he said he really enjoyed doing this. And I think, mm. I think the interesting thing for us here is to think about how this, um, how this technique actually applies to language learning. And I think that's where we're going to get to um, right after the break.
0: Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back.
1: I've studied English on my own and in a classroom for years, but I felt like I wasn't improving. I didn't really know how to learn. Then, I found the Learn Your English Online Student Membership. My name is Diva, and I'm an LYE member. This membership is for people who are passionate about learning English in their own way. These are not classes. This is learning outside of the classroom, effective and fun. Head over to the Learn Your English website for all the details. That's learnyourenglish.com. Ready to take control of your learning? Join me today in the Learn Your English student community.
0: Today's podcast is brought to you in part by Thinkific. With education increasingly moving online and the market for self-study and self-paced learning expanding, Thinkific is a great place to launch that lesson or course you have. We host our own courses for teachers and students there. If you've taken one of our courses you know how user-friendly the interface is and how it offers a range of video, audio, and text lessons, along with a way to engage with other students in the course. Not to mention, it's very easy to build. If you want to take a leap and put that course you have online, try Thinkific. Learn Your English has a special link for our listeners who want to try it without any commitment. Get started with a free month when you go to try.thinkific.com slash L-Y-E dash... TRIAL. That's try.thinkific.com slash L-Y-E dash TRIAL. Thanks for listening to us and for subscribing to Teacher Talking Time. Now, let's get back to the show. What's up, everyone?
1: My name is Johan, and I'm from Vietnam. You're listening to the Teacher Talking Time,
0: the Learn Your English podcast. cả Teacher talking time, the Learn Your English podcast.
1: All right. Welcome back to the show. So Mike, we've talked a little bit about visualization. We talked about visualization in sports. Now we're going to get on visualization in language learning because it has impacted language learning as well. And one of the big names is Jane Arnold, and I hope to have her on the podcast sooner oh, than that later would be great yes she's done extensive research on the subject, and she actually talks a little bit about a very interesting experience that I want to share with all of our listeners and you um, she said she remembers this this um, her interest in this topic of visualization was actually uh, prompted by by the story of a of an American scholar who Before he was going to this conference in Europe, he didn't know if he could speak French or Italian. Basically, what he did is he eliminated all these obstacles, all these fears, all these negative thoughts about speaking French and Italian by just doing mental imagery, by just visualizing. And apparently, after he visualized himself traveling through these countries, speaking the language fluently, it was found later that his fluency Improved dramatically, and also his accuracy. What do you have to say about that?
2: I think that's I think that's amazing. It's uh, I've I've heard about this like this this phenomena, and I know that a lot of people um, they they like to kind of think about. They like to think in English, you know, Leo. So mm. they're kind of imagining these, anticipating these situations they're going to encounter, and thinking about how they might reply politely how they might reply rudely, how they might try to get out of the conversation. And they, yeah, they, they, they're not saying anything, Leo, they're just going through it mentally and then visualizing it. And I think it speaks to, you know, this larger theories of, of, of how we actually build knowledge. And, and um, there's one school of thought called constructivism, which mm. many of you can probably guess. The, the fact that it has construct in its name, it implies that, that learners themselves, that all of us, Leo, we, we, we actually build knowledge ourselves. It's a very internal thing. We, we absorb what is around us and we start to build our own understanding. We make meaning, as it were. Um, and the great John Dewey said that the image, actually, Leo, is a great instrument of instruction. That's how he describes mm. it. And, and he's what he said was is that what learners get out of any subject is merely the images they themselves form about it. And I would take it one step further. I think in language learning, mm. it starts with that: you being in an environment, learn hearing something that 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 um, that you feel would be value, you prioritize that, and you decide I really want to learn that. And I would go beyond just visualizing how you might um, both understand that word and visualize yourself using that word. I would add the the second part would be the social aspect, mm. which would then be you testing that out with another individual and hopefully um, uh, getting some feedback. And I think much like an athlete would be in a football match performing and then getting that feedback from say their team or the, the reaction of, their, um, of the other team. And I think that it's, it all, I think John Dewey makes a very good point that it all starts with how you visualize this and how you place meaning um, on that knowledge and then decide how you want to use it. Much like Ronaldo can visualize the game, but he still needs to decide how he will act and how he will apply that mm-hmm. in the moment. And I think it also uh, relates to this, co- um, this co- cognitivist um, understanding of, of knowledge. And, and that we, we, when we process knowledge, Leo, we, we often store knowledge and what we've learned in, in many ways. And one way we can do it is kind of orally or by writing it down. But another way is by applying the image, applying the vision. Mm-hmm. And this is called dual coding. And Alan Pavio's idea that we, we, we store information when we receive it, we receive it through two channels, Leo. Mm-hmm. So we might be receiving it verbally, but also non-verbally. And it's, he says it's, very, it's especially important to learn a second language in association with Appropriate nonverbal reference, either visible or in imagery,
1: I'm with, thinking... which
2: which you know represent the knowledge of the world, and we see right. this with flashcards. I could I was say. Going to say that yeah. <laughs> we yeah. see this with TPR, um, total physical response, and and acting out language. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but this is something that you and I have talked about in terms of how we have tried to, and this is actually Leo is. Leo told me about this strategy a long time ago. Is how we we try to not only read information, Leo, read articles, but then represent it ourselves. So maybe writing a summary or finding a concept diagram or even creating our own concept diagram that um, would represent what we have learned. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, not only understanding through images, but showing understanding um, by the
1: use of images, okay. right? I was just thinking about what you said and basically this idea of two channels um, that we use when we receive information, the verbal and the nonverbal. Just to clarify to our listeners, I think it would be very similar to when you learn a word in a foreign language. For example, you learn the word table. You're not only learning the visual, the verbal sounds, T-A-B-U table but you also visualize you see an image so to me table has the sound it has a definition which I don't I don't know how to define a table but it's very clear in my mind because I have an image Um, and I great example yes and I was thinking about this Mike you told me and I think the listeners will probably remember this your experience learning Japanese perhaps you could Tell us. I don't know if this is something that you have done in the past, but have you gone through uh, an experience while you were learning Japanese where you actually visualized yourself using the language before a very specific situation? Have you gone through that? Because I have one in Spanish um, that I would share in a bit, but I want to hear from you first.
2: Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. I think the one that stands out the most, I've, I do it all the time because um i my japanese isn't as strong as it probably should be so i I feel the need to kind of rehearse but i think the the example that comes to mind leo would be when i um had to get my in-laws permission
3: Mm. to
2: uh to marry my 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 spouse so uh (laughs) that was interesting because there are certain ceremonial things you need to do and But of course, there's a set phrase and a set way of asking for permission. So that way, I think would be one uh, that would be the example that really stands out where I was thinking a little bit about how I might even look right, the Mm -hmm. physical, how I would present myself, both in terms of posture and gestures, um, the the, um, emotional not to be too giddy or happy, but (laughs) to control those emotions and then Again, the idea of delivering the message in a way that was meaningful, where they could see that I was uh, not just rehearsing, reciting memorized lines, but um, showing and reflecting my my
1: love for my
2: my wife at the time. So, um, did yeah, you visualize her
1: saying no? Did you have like? Did you? I visualized for- <laughs> her
2: correcting me in the middle of it, saying, "No, no, don't say that. That's a bad word." But uh, no, it was it was it was funny, Leo, because they. Uh, my in-laws are quite, quite dour. They're they're very soft-spoken, very respectable people, and um, I love them a lot. And uh, but they, when I when I finished what I had to say, they were just quiet, and they were being quiet out of respect and acknowledgement, right? But um, I thought I had said something wrong. <laughs> I was anticipating my own culture where. <laughs> where someone would crack a joke or someone would, uh,
1: right? But it was, it was quite interesting, right.
2: yeah. How about you? Uh,
1: I think it was just an experience that I had, I think it was last year, I was in Mexico and I was presenting at a conference. Of course, I was presenting in English, but eventually they said, Leo, we have, um, we have, we have, a, we have a, a TV channel from, from Mexico that wants to talk a little bit about the conference and they would like to invite you would like to have you um, be interviewed for this for this channel. And I said, What time? And they said, Oh, it's in about half an hour. And I said, Oh, my God, I don't know what to say. Perfect. So, (laughs) So I basically went to the bathroom and I mentally rehearsed, I visualized myself, what if I don't understand the question that they asked me. So I really tried my best to visualize not only the mental imagery of the entire conversation that I was going to have in Spanish, but I also try to project somehow feelings. Um, As you said, a different persona that I wanted to portray speaking Spanish, because I believe that I am not the same person when I speak Spanish. So I wanted to sound different. I wanted to to show myself, present myself in a different light. So um, it went I well. Yeah. I think it went really well. Um, my Spanish wasn't great, but. Uh, did you guess the right question?
2: Did you anticipate the right Yes, questions?
1: I anticipated the right questions and I, I knew exactly what to say. But of course, I only had half an hour and I think athletes do this every day for mm. hours and hours oh. and hours. And I think if we want, um, If we want students, if we want students to visualize themselves in English, I think we have to ask them to do this more often, not just once and then forget about it. They have to to do it more, more constantly and perhaps even find find a model, someone that is similar to the kind of person that they want to be in in the foreign language, which brings us, Mike, to the last part of our of our show today, which is um, research done by Dornier and Ushioda, who talk a lot about this L2 motivational self system and the idea of the, well, and the notion, I should say, of the ideal uh, L2 self. Mike, perhaps you can tell us a little bit about what this ideal L2 self is.
2: Yeah, it, it's basically if if you want to become good in a language, then basically proficiency in that target language is part and parcel so it's 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 tied to Mm. your own ideal or ought to self and that that having this ideal vision of yourself is actually a really, really powerful motivator, and you will actually learn language more effectively, because of this psychological desire Mm -hmm. to to be Less like you currently are and more like your future self, right? You see where I'm going with that. And I can think of this because when I learned Korean, <laughs> I actually took on a Korean name, Min Hyok, and yeah. I would try to be like, um, uh, I would try to be like a famous Korean actor, and and it wasn't me trying to look like him or, or be as buff as him, but it, was, it was actually just trying to sound like him in interviews, right? Mm. To, per, per, to, to sound like I had a swag, a swagger, right?
1: So um, I, I, I buy into this, Leo. Me too. No, me too. And I think, Mike, it's important for learners to understand this. Your ideal L2 self refers to the characteristics that you don't have currently. This is your current self. Your actual self is who you are at the moment. The ideal L2 self is is a person, a persona that you create that would ideally have certain characteristics that you would like to possess. And this includes your hopes, it includes your aspirations, it includes your wishes, our dreams in general. For example, um, I think it's important for us to talk about this because a lot of students give up learning a language because their ideal L2 self is a native speaker of that language. And I think that's something that we should talk a little bit about because that, that ideal L2 self is unrealistic. It should not be someone from a different nationality that speaks with a certain accent. It should be someone that is closer to your um, actual self.
3: mm-hmm. mm-hmm
2: yeah and and I think that and and the and actual self and and actual self performing things that you envision you would perform, right? I know that sounds kind of that's convoluted, but but yeah, like not only is this person someone that's similar to you, maybe demographically, um, but it's someone who actually is taking part in or performing in English, let's say. In, in activities that you yourself, you know that you want to perform in mm-hmm. as well. So, for example, if you wanted to be a successful business person, then you would find someone who would look, who, who, who resonates or connects with you at this kind of um, demographic level and also is performing in that role that you foresee yourself performing mm-hmm. in. Um, and uh, i give you an example. I have. Um, I have, uh, I teach English for academic purposes at University, Leo, I know you've done that a fair bit yourself, and I recently find myself asking my students, you know, who, who would you like to be, and, and a lot of them say, oh, I want to be, I want to be the type of person that feels comfortable talking to a, prof- a professor during office hours, and, and then, okay, well, what does that, what does that mean, you know, like, oh, well, that means being able to, to defend my position when I know I'm right and I think they're wrong, right? So, mm-hmm. so you need to find someone who exudes that confidence, who yes. has that, that same um, bravado mm-hmm. that, um, that has. And maybe, it's, maybe Leo, it's just another, if I'm from Mexico, maybe it's just a, a third year student uh, that I know who always gets what they want when they meet their professor. Right. <laughs> right. So, how do they do that? What What are they leveraging? Are they re- mm-hmm. leveraging their their knowledge of of um, this professor's background, this professor's interest, yeah. um, what other students on campus say to get what they want? So, mm-hmm. finding someone that not only, as you said, connects with you um, in terms of profile, but also performance profile. Mm-hmm. Are they doing things that you know you will need to do or want to do?
1: in the future. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. I th- perhaps perhaps one of the reasons why students think that learning English is so difficult, that learning English seems like unattainable is because they are creating a vision that may be a bit too far fetched, unattainable. Far-fetched, unattainable. Yeah, yeah. It might be someone like if I'm for example, if I'm a, if I'm learning I'm still trying to learn Spanish, So I cannot say that I want to sound like one of my best friends who was born in Mexico and speaks Spanish fluently because that is unattainable. What I would have to do is I would have to find a Canadian who doesn't speak great Spanish but lives in Mexico, is able to communicate because what do I want to be able to do in that language? I don't want to read in Spanish. I don't want to to write in Spanish. I want to be able to have conversations i want to be able to be friendly in spanish so i would need to find someone that possesses those qualities that's how i start creating the vision and strengthening this vision yeah are you going to And i
2: something? i would i would know i would just add leo that that this maybe goes back to what we said earlier about resilience so if i'm trying to emulate a native speaker well how would i do that cuz a native quote unquote native speaker won't experience the same communication breakdowns that I would oh, if I'm point. learning Korean or speaking Japanese. So for, for me, this, this fu- envisioned future self or ideal L2 self is, is, is a more proficient, let's say, speaker of Japanese or Korean who also can, can, can repair those conversation backgrounds, who mm-hmm. I can say, oh, I love, I love that strategy when they don't understand the word I love how they're able to to use this phrase or or start at using questions to kind mm-hmm. of get at the meaning that they missed, um, or vice versa to express that they are right, even when the quote unquote native speaker is dominating the conversation or assuming a position of privilege because they speak the language fluently, even though yes. they're they're wrong. and And how do you rectify that? So. This ideal, to get back to what you were saying, choosing this, this native speaker ideal is, is actually counterintuitive because I think you would agree that most com- communication nowadays is probably to people who are speaking in English but might not necessarily speak English as their first language, right? Yep. So yeah. so it's, it's not actually a use, going back to resilience, it's not a useful skill to be able to speak. Just one language. To sound,
1: actually, to sound like a person yeah. who only speaks one language is not a good vision. You can't no. really idealize someone who only speaks one language, which is one of the reasons why I don't understand why students are obsessed with this nonsensical idea of wanting to sound like a native speaker of that language if i'm learning spanish i don't want to sound like a native speaker of spanish i want to sound like someone who has learned spanish and is able to do the things that i want to be able to do in that very specific language so just to give an example to our listeners if you are a brazilian speaker and you want to sound better in english you would find a brazilian actor or a brazilian um Celebrity who actually uses English and is somewhat successful at what in what they do. If you are um, um, a Japanese um, speaker, if you're a Japanese uh, speaker and you want to be able to sound better in English, find that Japanese role model for yourself. And right? I wonder, Leo, if
2: we could even get more specific, like if I wanted to be a Japanese, so say i'm I'm interested in learning Japanese. But the reason I'm interested in learning Japanese is because I really want to be the top sushi chef in my hometown. My hometown doesn't have any Japanese people. Could I take it further, Leo? Could I say, I'm going to um, emulate a Japanese chef that I respect who has interviewed a lot and has written a lot about, um, about uh, Japanese cooking, and I've seen them on TV. Would it, would that also work? Would I, could I emulate that? So I would not only be speaking Japanese like a chef, but I would be, then again, I'm going back to this native speaker. So maybe it would be looking for
3: Mm.
2: another non-native speaker. I don't want to, another chef using Japanese as an additional language Mm. um, who maybe owns their own restaurant and is, our, and is often talking about their restaurant and serving their customers in Japanese. Yeah. Maybe I, I would use that as my yes, model.
1: Yes, I think I think the model that you use has to be very realistic because I think we need to develop realistic expectations. We need to be very honest. We need to be very down to earth. We need to consider all the potential obstacles and difficulties that we're going to encounter. It's like me, Mike, trying Mm -hmm. to say that I want to look like Sylvester Stallone when he was in his prime, it's never going to happen. I don't know. I don't know. It's never going to. Well, first of all, I don't want to. That's not my future self. (laughs) (laughs) That is definitely not um, my future self. But I think what's really important for us to, to emphasize here for the listeners, for students, for learners who are trying to learn this language is. Think about the person that you would like to become when you speak this language, right? All right. Um, create this attractive vision of your future language self. It has to be attractive because it's not attractive. You're not going to pursue it and envision that find another person that you can say, you know what, I think it's very possible that I can become very much like that person find out what their characteristics are. And then figure out if if you could actually possess some of those um, characteristics, and then go from there. I think that's the best way to visualize your future English speaking self. Is there anything we want to add before we we're gonna wrap it up with um, an exercise for the listeners?
2: Yeah, I would just I would just add that we're not asking you to forget who you are as well, right? Like yes.
1: Part of this is is
2: also. It's 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 a little bit like um, piggybacking, right? Mm. So you're taking all the good that you're seeing within this envisioned future self, this ideal L two self, mm-hmm. but you're also saying, in in addition to that, I choose to do this or yes. I choose to go this way. And I think yeah. agency is the final one that maybe we should just acknowledge that, yes. Find that model, but also find yourself in the model
3: yes. and
2: create your own identity. Um, but I, I would say that I, I agree with with you 100%. Leo, that, there's... Uh, it's a powerful tool. And that's why I think students love having mentors, mm-hmm. right? That's the attraction it's because there's a model there. I can piggyback on that, but I can also go my own way when yeah. I feel that it's going to be
1: helpful. There is, um, again, I'm going back to James Clear. I feel like... He's selling books because of us. But there is one passage in Atomic Habits where James, James Clear talks a lot about this idea of every action you take is a vote for the type of person that you wish to become. Right? Mm. So not, it's not one single is instance that will transform your beliefs, but it's the accumulation of these votes that will create this new identity so you really need to keep doing it keep going keep forcing keep pushing well said yeah, yeah. i forgot
2: about that yeah you're right and james clear is probably selling a ton of books because of
1: this. <laughs> so uh, mike we're gonna end this with a visualization exercise that you can let's do at go home, um or while you listen to this episode I'm, mike you're gonna you're gonna read this because i have some background noise here um But it's important for all of you to find a nice and quiet place, Um, perhaps a place where you won't be disturbed or interrupted. Sit comfortably, close your eyes, take a few deep breaths, and Mike will guide you with his beautiful voice. Okay, everyone. I want you to imagine yourself in the future.
2: You've studied the language you want to learn, and now you're able to
3: speak it well. Imagine yourself, how old are you? What do you look like now? Where are you currently living? What is your house like? Who lives with you? What job are you doing? Why do you enjoy it? What makes you happy about your life? How is your new language useful for you? What can you do in that language? Do you use it in your work? Do you use it to study? Do you give presentations in this language? Do you have friends who speak that language? Do you use it when you travel as a tourist? Imagine the one that is most important to you work, study, friends travel now imagine yourself in that situation where are you in an office at a meeting on the phone with friends in a university or in a foreign country are you in a cafe in a shop, in the street, at the station. Choose one. Where are you? Get more detailed. What does this place look like? What can you see around you? Are there people there? How many? What do they look like? What are they wearing and what can you hear? What are you doing? What are you wearing? Are you speaking in this moment? Are you speaking in the language to someone else? Who is that person? What do they look like? Now imagine that you're speaking the language very well. What are you talking about? What kinds of things can you say? What difficulties are you having? And how are you overcoming them? Now, how do you feel talking in that language? And how are the other people reacting to you? Try repeating this exercise. For five minutes or 10 minutes each day, little by little, expand the duration, get more detailed, ask more questions, maybe write down your idea in a journal. Thank you so much for listening and good luck with your envisioned future selves.
0: You've been listening to Teacher Talking Time, brought to you by Learn Your English. Ready to take control of your education? You're in the right place. Teaching, professional development, learning. Expand your world with Learn Your English.